Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, podcast where a comedian and a relationship therapist talk about how men and women relate to each other in the modern age. My name is Neil, I'm the comedian. I'm joined by Eliza, who is back. Yay. Taking a two-week hiatus. How are you feeling? Better, slightly. Okay. Um, thank you, everyone, for your messages. They were really sweet. Um, a lot of people were asking what happened, and uh, because it's like a, a legal matter, I can't really talk about it, but... In a nutshell, it was just like a pretty bad assault from um, a client that screwed up my back. So, <laughs> but we're on the mend. Hmm. She's a warrior. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, let's go with that. She's a fighter. <laughs> Took, got a beating, but I'm the warrior. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. What is it? What is the? What's the Rocky quote? It's not about how hard you get hit. It's how hard you can get hit and get back up again. I didn't really get back up, though. I couldn't sit for two weeks. <laughs> well, you're back up now. I'm back up now, yeah. <laughs> you well, you're technically sitting now, but yeah. you were. I saw you standing a few minutes ago. Yeah, I mean, I only got approved two days ago to be able to sit. So this You is had to get approval to sit. Literally, I had... Damn. Every single day, I had a health appointment for two and a half weeks straight. It was so annoying. And being told you can't sit, is way more frustrating than anyone can possibly imagine. And then I couldn't lie on my back, so I had to lie on my stomach, which... So you were sleeping on your stomach every night? I wasn't... I didn't sleep for, like, a whole um, two... I was basically... The only way I could get, like, relief was lying on the carpet. Um, <laughs> Jesus but Christ. But with, like, 12 heat packs um, and some heavy pain medication. But, um, yeah, it's lying on your front as a woman like with a chest, or boobs, is uncomfortable. So just everything was uncomfortable. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> I know. But you know what? Everything happens for a reason. Good karma will come. Well, maybe that was some kind of bad karmic cycle or something. We'll see. Well, you did buy a house. Yes. It kind of. Well, I mean, hopefully it's official, but. The contracts are signed, so yeah. Congratulations. I have, I have a home, which it's is exciting. Big two weeks. My God. Yes, yes. It's been crazy, crazy. I'm glad you're back. Yeah. I'm sure the listeners are too. They don't just hear me rambling on. Were you lonely last week? Of course I was lonely. <laughs> I had Shorty, I guess, but. Oh, good. She's she a chatty she one. She can't talk. She can't dis <laughs> discuss the issues with me. She's got some good facial expressions, though. There's some anger, some disgust, and content. Yeah, mostly, uh, mostly disgust. Can cats look happy? I don't think I've ever seen like a happy looking cat. Yeah, when they when they start to close their eyes like this. Oh. When their um squinty. eyes are you know going in and out. It, when you're really tired and you make that sort of a face where you're about to go to sleep. When cats mm. do that, uh, that means they feel safe and they're happy. And oh. if they're purring, they're happy. Um, so if they're purring and making that um, sleepy look. That's so very They feel very safe with you because Aww. otherwise their eyes would not close. That's so They're a wild animal. I well, no, they're, a, they're an animal. Yeah. Um, you've got to stay alert. Keep those eyes open. That's, I used to have pet rats and when rats are happy, they do this thing called boggling or boggles where they literally just like their eyes kind of like pop out and vibrate. Pop out? Like. Out of the socket? No, they stay in the socket. Okay. But just like really like wide eye and like they kind of like their whole body kind of like vibrates like shakes. But they're just so happy. Wow. Look it up. Look up rat boggling. It's so cute. They so they have like a happiness orgasm. Yeah. Yeah. They're vibrating and shaking. Literally. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Cats as well, when they, if they sleep with you at night, it means that they're trying to protect you. Because it's an instinct from when they were big cats and they <laughs> sleep together with the other big cats because That's they'd all so cute. try to protect each other in the um in the pod in the what is it in the you know there's yeah, a, what for is every the group, group of animal there's a certain word yeah. and there's all these weird words for like a gaggle of a gaggle of geese I think yeah a gaggle of geese a murder of crows what is the cat one I feel like it's the most it you must be so. the easiest one, and we'll we'll think of it later and be like, oh, fuck, duh. 
Yeah, uh, that seems to be one that's just where I'm blanking on right now. Anyway, so Neil and I had a chat and we decided we wanted to change this podcast to Animal Facts. So <laughs> it's the entire thing now. It's no longer. It's not sex sells. It's no. Uh, that's boring. <laughs> just call it Animal Facts. It is. It is in the top fifty science podcasts in Australia, which is so. really weird. <laughs> uh, it's not weird at all. Did you change the category yet? No, nope, I'm going to keep it there. <laughs> no, <laughs> we talk about science enough for it to be in the science oh category God. because it's not really comedy. No, I'm not Can't really. Can't you put it in lifestyle and relationships or whatever? I think what I'm sure I would have done is. that. If there is, is there on um, Spotify? Yes, I don't think there was. There is. That's the only category I listen to. I'll send it to you. Maybe there was. Maybe I think when we started the podcast, I thought it would be very evolutionary psychology based. It was for like the first three episodes, and yeah, then. And then, <laughs> then it became <laughs> just stories of uh, yeah. <laughs> one night stands and dating. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, I need to I need to get in on the story sharing as well. Yes. I don't share as much as you. When was your last one night stand? My last one night stands was uh, about a month ago, I think. Mm. Trying to I'm just trying to figure out who it was. Oh. <laughs> well, obviously, it wasn't very memorable. <laughs> Her listening to um, this was so heartbroken. I think it was the yeah. It was it would have been about a month a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. Nice here. No, it was at her place. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Mixing things up. And then she was, um, well, she was just out of a relationship. I was just out of a relationship. Yeah. And she um, was going to move to Canberra. So I was like, well, we're probably not going to get into anything serious. Just get into the goods. Yeah. Yep. She actually, she uh, came to a show. (laughs) <laughs> and then, and then this is cliche. And then we uh, we actually just kind of did it in her car. <laughs> I don't even know how that happened. No, because she was like, oh, "I'll give you a lift back to my place." And then, oh wow, my god, just, it was mad. It was good. What kind of car? Is she, like in the back was seat good car. or front seat? It was a bit of both. Oh, wow. So midway, we like let's crawl into the back yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and who crawled in first? I can't. I don't remember those details. Oh. I th- probably. I think it was her. Yeah. But I said, okay, we need a bit more space. Mm. Not that it was. We need more, space. Not that, it was <laughs> that much more space. Yeah. Um. Hi, Shorty. But yeah, that was fun. What's the ratio, like percentage of girls coming to your place versus you going to a girl's place mostly my place really yeah i prefer that as well same i've never gone to another man's house i don't like it except once and i got assaulted <laughs> so well, there you go. not sexually just disclaimer he was just a bit cray cray so only ever at my place where they can oh, forever know it's my it's not address. a sexual assault that's yeah. fine <laughs> hi yeah i just i like uh being in control, you can be like, "Oh, <laughs> that's a bad way of saying now. it." But I just like I have certain. Well, I just know what my routine is if I bring someone <laughs> back here. Shorty knows what to do. She, she just yeah, makes I got a, I got, I got a cat. I got feed. I got feed the cat. Yeah, that's a good reason. And I usually have a bowl of wine here, so it's just you know I just know what to do. Back to what this is actually <laughs> supposed to be about. Yeah, yeah. Is it true that cats? Um, don't they only eat what they need like if you put a whole bowl of food no because there's fat cats out there there's some pretty obese cats look at her biting my ring well she's (laughs) she wants a little bit of aquamarine she will be really sweet and purring and then she'll just start biting you out of nowhere it's cute that's like most women isn't it yep they just start biting (laughs) your fingers out of nowhere. Anyway, <laughs> they'll purr and then they'll bite you. That's that's the roller coaster of life. Exactly. Symbolic. Symbolic. Um. So your your topic of today, Neil. Well, tell we're going to talk about. Uh, should we be judging people based on their worst moments? Oh. It's quite a broad topic. Yeah. Uh, what I was thinking with this is, I think we we. Can have an inclination to do just that. Yeah. I'm biased to remember some incidences um, that stand out to us, mm-hmm. especially if they're negative. 
this is not just in a romantic relationship. This is in any relationship or even with celebrities and with the mm-hmm. com- uh, the, the current phenomenon of cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Are we uh, too quick to judge people in their worst moments? Now, obviously, there's a line to that because if their worst moment is committing murder, <laughs> then we're going to have to judge them. But uh, yeah. if their worst moment is... Uh, I don't know, being verbally abusive, mm. uh, but for 99.999% of their life, they're lovely, kind people yeah. and maybe something could have provoked them. Mm. Do we judge them for that? Exactly. I mean, we are going to have to judge them for that, but then do we say they are a verbally abusive person mm. or do we say, okay, in that particular moment, they lost it and they were they showed their, their flaws as a human being. Yeah. I um, lately have uh, tended to, to side... Uh, uh, you know, against cancel culture, obviously, mm. but but ju- judging people as a whole and not and not judging them from their worst moments. Now, when we when we meet someone immediately or we, we meet them for a brief amount of time, yes, that impression is going to uh, you know determine our in, in, entire judgment of them. Yeah. But if we know someone, uh, if we're dating them, uh, if we've been friends with them for a long time, I think it's a bit. It can be well fallacious and also sometimes even restrictive, could even be immature to say things like they are a toxic person, they oh, are yeah. a negative person, they are yeah. a uh, stressed human being. Or they'll be like, when my grandma died and you weren't there for me, I'll never forgive you or whatever without, you know, there's context to things. You just never know. You never know that what had been going on for that person or... Absolutely. Like actually a girl said to me um, a couple of days ago, she said she tried to like call me out, a friend of mine being like, I feel like you haven't made an attempt to socialize with me in a, in a few weeks and like, you know, this isn't... We haven't caught up. Like you're not putting any effort into this friendship. And I was like, yeah, because I can't do anything i'm like i'm injured (laughs) but she was like a bit more upset about it than the way i just said it like she was pissed off with me but i was like i can't i can't drive i can't sit down unless you want to come stand in my apartment with me like did she was she aware that you were yeah this injury and she still yeah but she didn't know the extent of it Uh so i think that's when it kind of comes into like context even with like murder you just never know what was the reason? Was it someone protecting themselves? How did they grow up? Was this a kid, you know, that had grown up in a gang and uh-huh. hadn't known any better and it was survival or whatever? So um, I think because when you said you wanted to talk about this, I was going to the extremes like mm. rapists, murderers well, well, and pedophiles. We'll, we'll definitely yeah. get to that as well. But I just I feel like I, the, the general consensus for something like a murderer or a rapist would be, no, they are a bad person. Mm. But you're right. There always is some sort of context. Yeah. Mm. Um, something like murder people, I think, uh, there's a lot more moral gray area there, you know, if it's self-defense, whereas, you know, you don't, you can't rape someone in self-defense. Yeah. I think actually, you know, this is probably a bit like iffy to say, but I think of compared to pedophilia and rape, I think that murder is actually a lesser, um, concern for the like long term because I believe that murderers can be rehabilitated you're less likely to murder more than once I mean you're unlikely to murder one more than once but you know as a sex offender rapist you're more more likely to do it multiple times and ongoing um so those and sometimes those things can't be changed within a person either so I don't know it's really tricky though yeah, I suppose then you're looking at the uh, whether it is likely to be an individual act mm. of immorality, but at the same time, when someone has been r- murdered, their life has ended. Yeah, you know that's yeah seems to me to be the worst possible crime that that someone can mm. suffer. Yeah, because then exactly. you can't you can't feel anything yeah. ever after that. Mm. It's horrendous as being a victim of pedophilia or rape is, uh, you do survive after yeah. that. You know, if someone mm-hmm. had a gun to my head and, and said, would you rather be raped or murdered? Well, I mean, yeah, you, true. You take it's rape, a really good point. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but mm. I'm sure that it is true that the perpetrator of those crimes could have a different psychological profile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it really depends on the psychological profile because, like, I think that, 
I have probably a perspective that is a bit more to the other side where I'm probably too lenient because I work with mm. like child abusers, sex offenders. Um, well, so, so you engage with them on a human level then? Yeah, and I have to get to know them and I have to try to like build a relationship with them so that they can trust me and I can educate them. That's the mm. only way. I'm not going to come in and be like, you prick. Like I can't do that. I'm going to be like, let's explore what happened how were you brought up? Like, why? What led you into this? You know, the series of events. What was happening for you? Have you tried this? Like, what's the alternative? What can we do in the future? Like, that's the only way that you can. You can't. They they believe you can't cure pedophilia, right? Mm. Unless it was there's a small percentage of people with pedophilia that was so severely abused themselves that they don't actually have a genuine attraction to children. It's just more of like a doing really sinister things. Uh But for those that have a genuine sexual strong attraction to children, you can't get rid of that unless you do chemical castration, um, castration, which is pretty popular in America. However, you can help pedophiles from reoffending by t- like doing C- uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT with them and thinking, okay, these urges are going to come up. Let's let's just acknowledge that and accept that, and this will always be there. But you get to make a choice about whether or not it's acted on. Mm. It's kind of like how they say, once a drug addict or an alcoholic, always a drug addict. Well, there's so many moral questions yeah. that come up with something like that. So. Is it the thought itself that makes someone immoral yeah. or is it the action or is it the uh, consequences of that action? Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, if you, I think this is a quote from the Bible or just the Christian outlook on something like infidelity, it's if you even have the thought of lusting over another woman, you're already an adulterer. Well, then 99.9% yeah, of people are. Forget about yeah. it, right? But um, we all have dark thoughts mm-hmm. some i'm sure darker than others yeah you know um but i think most people and i'd probably tend to agree with this would only impute uh immorality in on onto a person if they act out those dark thoughts yes uh, yeah. so it's a it's a tricky one and it and if you think of something like the concept of forgiveness is there a limitation to that? Are there some people who are just so beyond the pale that you cannot forgive them? And is there a difference between justice and, and mm. I suppose, moral forgiveness? So if someone has committed a murder, maybe they have grown up in really hard circumstances, um, at what point do you say you are a result of your circumstances? Yeah. Then it, you even get into the a question of free will. Yeah. I mean, you can really go deep with this intellectually um you can kind of almost unpack any situation and bring it back to something and some sort of justification like i guess like even with exactly with me being assaulted i have literally not a single like ill feeling towards the person that assaulted me i i honestly feel genuine sympathy for them because i knew that they were quite mentally unwell um and suffer from drug addiction and what happened in the lead up to this assault was they had a, a, a hallucination and thought something. I thought I had done something that I hadn't. So would they have done that if they didn't have schizophrenia mm. and they didn't have like use ice or whatever? Maybe not. So that's interesting. You say that the evil is drug addiction or it is an unequal society. It's not the individual that committed the heinous act. Yeah. 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 I think that's really interesting and I think a lot of people would definitely share that and mm. I struggle with that. I'm not I'm not sure uh, what to think when it comes to sort of collective responsibility or even just abstract conceptual responsibility in the sense of okay, it's drug addiction. That's the mm. that's the unethical uh, concept at play here. But the individual they only had so much control um, based on their mm. circumstances, socioeconomic conditions, yeah. culture, yeah. Um, their their proclivities, whatever it may be, drug addiction was always going to mm. um, infect them. Mm-hmm. But it's the concept of addiction itself, or of even if you get religious of sin or whatever you want to call it, that is what we should direct our uh, uh, ire towards. Yeah, if you if you want to put it that way, it's uh, 
it's unhealthy to sometimes just look specifically at the individual and say, this individual has done me wrong, this individual is a bad person, or uh, as opposed to saying, you know, this abstract concept or this uh, ill within society is the problem. Yeah. And we need to heal that before we heal the individual. But it's it's hard to do because if someone has assaulted you, someone's Mm. stolen from you, someone's burnt down your house, someone's lying to you, it's hard to say, well, lying is the problem, not the person. Exactly. You're going to, most people, I'm sure myself included, are going to think, well, this fucking idiot that burnt down my house and lied to me or Mm. whatever it may be. So it's it's such a conundrum, something like this. I think for for the the health the mental health of the victim, it probably is better to look at it in terms of greater concepts. So, mm. like you just said, it it's 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 drug addiction. It's mm. it's an unequal society that yeah. um, is always going to cause more pain, and I just happen to be the collateral damage of that pain. Yeah. Uh, rather than saying no, that person wronged me. Mm. Um, Exactly. Really interesting um, case study on this, I guess. I was looking up, um, I was on Reddit and I came across- Of course you were. Of course I was, which was perfect for this. I came across change, like what that one, it's like change my view and people mm. make a statement like change my view, Paris Hilton isn't hot or something like that. Um, and this one was change my view, serial killers cannot be rehabilitated mm-hmm. or don't deserve to be you know, reintroduced into the society after just a couple of years. Mm. And one of the cases that someone had posted about was a serial killer called um, Charles Whitman. And he he was known as like the Texas Tower Killer. And I think it was, it was many years ago, but basically he um, murdered, I think he murdered his wife, then his mother, and then went and like shot heaps of people in the University of Texas. Um and so he went to jail and I think he later died in jail because he was there for maybe till I don't know how long. But uh-huh. um, what they found out afterwards when they kind of decided like that was I think it was in like 1966 or 70 or something like that. So it was many years ago. And then when they started kind of bringing in this whole point of, well, what about the psychological factors of these things? And that became kind of trendy in court to be like my client is innocent because they were having a delusional episode anyway so they found out when they explored after his death that he had before he had killed he ended up murdering 16 people and before then he had hit his wife on only two occasions or before he murdered her and um his friends said that the two times that he had hit his wife he was like a total mess, like breakdown with guilt, shame, like just hated himself being like, I don't know how I did that. That's so not like me. I can't believe it. Just like complete and utter self shame. Um, and he'd gone to five doctors and psychologists saying, why did I have this violent outburst? This isn't me. Like one of them ended up in the end giving him medication for, it was, um, he Valium and so not really addressing anything and it wasn't until after he died when all these stuff cut coming to light that they actually did an autopsy and found that he had a tumor the size of a walnut on his amygdala in his brain which has like a direct kind of connection to impulsiveness like control um so then he had these violent outburst episodes mm-hmm. but it was so easily kind of explained from this tumor um so Really interesting to see how that kind of thing, those things do come into play. Very interesting there. Yeah. A major crux of this discussion would come down to, say, punishment versus rehabilitation. Yes. And I would take a a moderate view on both where I think people need punishment, they need discipline, they need rules. Consequence, But. People also need to feel like there's an opportunity to be rehabilitated, to feel to, to be forgiven. Otherwise, what's the point? Exactly. Of doing anything in jail, you're just gonna be you're just gonna stay the same. Uh huh. What what incentive do people have to try and better themselves yeah. if they don't think there's a path to rehabilitation? Now, people are gonna point to extreme examples like, all right, could you forgive Hitler? Yeah. Could you rehabilitate yeah. someone like Hitler? Um, the the thing is when you just look at the human condition and you look at how separate Hitler was to the actual crimes being 
committed, I'm sure he actually did commit crimes as well, but within his mind, he thought he was doing the righteous thing for his people. Yeah. He thought his people had been victimized by the Jews. So mm-hmm. in his mind, he thought he was doing the right thing, right? So yeah. um, in a weird way, he almost isn't a psychopath because a psychopath is someone who who would say, no, I know that I'm causing havoc and I know that I'm, mm. um, you know, uh, I know that there'll be pain for my victims, but I'm going to do it anyway because mm. I enjoy it. Mm. Whereas a lot of people just have different ideas about what is morally permissible due to their circumstances. Mm. So that's why I'm so um, fervently against a victim mentality because what a Mm. victim mentality ends up doing is it allows you moral permission to not not act out your best um, ethical standards because you think, well, I'm allowed to lie, I'm allowed to uh, steal this because of my circumstances, because of what happened to me. I'm allowed to be a bad person to this other person because I feel like they wronged me. Or I have BPD or anxiety, so therefore I can do this or that's why I did this. Yeah. People justify their actions with it. It's so tricky. And I agree, like I feel like a moderate approach to the kind of jail sentence is the way to go. I I don't think that, I think the whole corporation of jail is so like, it's not right, but that being said, people that are at that high of a risk to the community should be removed to the community and that jail should be made to be more enriching for people. Um, like, you know, you know, even if you're there for 20 years, let them study, let them read an endless amount, at least give them some autonomy over their own choices whilst they're there. Um, like some prisons let people get degrees, they bring dogs in, they allow them to have like social media and things like that. So at least they can have some sense of self. Like you are obviously, you're never allowed outside. You're still restricted. So you're not living the life up without mm. like totally carefree. Um, but being put in a place and just for the rest of your life, there's no point. You may as well just, <laughs> mm. you know. I mean, there has to be some sort of, standard by which we say, all right, if you go to prison, it has to be worse than if you are living Mm. uh, freely, even if you're at the bottom rung of the social hierarchy within a free society. Prison probably has to be, or at least there have to be some consequences that make their life either, well, worse off or just more restrictive than Mm. someone who, you know, if someone's extremely poor but free, they might not even be able to afford a degree or they might you know, have to be working this terrible job all day and they yeah. hear these stories about these prisoners getting a degree and getting these dogs and think, True. well, what the fuck? I'll go to jail then. That's a good point. So yeah. it's a tough one, isn't it? Because maybe this is my conditioning, but it seems pretty clear to me that for a society to function, there needs to be some form of punishment mm-hmm. enacted towards people who... Uh, restrict the rights of other people. Mm. See, it's just what do you what do you do then when if mm. you punish too hard, then the person can't be rehabilitated. But then if it's too rehabilitative, well, what what is the consequence of then actually not living up to the ethical standard? It's 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 that's why I would yeah. say there probably needs to be some sort of middle ground there. Um, do you know what's interesting though? I don't. I don't envy the politicians. You have to yeah, decide um, this with the whole like they deserve to be punished. So I guess like in my realm of you know studying psychology, I definitely sure. have focus mainly on children and youth development. So this I don't know if this applies to adults as well. Um, but when or even recently, um, I had applied to become a respite carer for children in out of home care that are of the highest, highest needs. Like I guess when they're foster carers or kinship carers or whatever, say I I can't handle this kid, I need them to go somewhere for two nights and then they'd come to me and Mm. I look after them for a couple nights or whatever. Um, And so I did this um, training with this um, agency for a long time and it's very kind of like, I guess, a successful program that they've done. And what was really interesting, they like, because the kids that come in are so um high need and that they will say like look Liza this kid's gonna trash your place probably they might light a fire you know they might 
try hurt you. They might do this. They might do that. Are you prepared for this? Yep. Cool. Um, well, not cool, but yeah. They just say this is the, the reality of what these carers deal with every single day with these kids. Um, but with these kids in particular, they only live with these foster carers for one year as a kind of like almost like a rehabilitation, but they're specialist carers. And the whole function, the way this whole program functions is that no matter what the child does, no matter how serious it is, unless it's something that needs to be reported to the police, you do not react to it. You don't say, stop that, like stop trashing the place, like stop, you don't restrain them, nothing. You let them do it. You don't say anything, completely ignore it, disregard it. Like if a kid trashes this and breaks, smashes every glass out of your cupboards, don't say anything. Just wait till they calm down and then be like, hey, Johnny, should we pack this up together? Why don't we sweep this up? Like complete disregard. And then as soon as they do something nice, you over-exaggerate your whole, um, like you almost speak to them like a baby. And these kids are like seven, 16 to eight or no, they're 14 to 18. So when they bring you a glass of water or make you a cup of tea, even if you ask them to, thank you so much. That's so nice of you. That's so generous, like very polite of you. Or even they say like, yeah, I'm good. Like, thank you for responding. That's really nice of you to share that like really kind of baby reward systems. And then they get rewards as the more they do, the more reward they get and the rewards are so like simple like cool now you can have 15 minutes of wi-fi or now you can see your friends on the weekend really it's still restrictive but it gets more less and less restrictive anyway this program has been found to have the highest success rate ever in working with um these kind of children and that their whole thing is never punish never react only focus on the good and then when just on my way in, I was reading the study that was done about um, kids, like psycho- uh, pe- people that have diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder, which is basically the formal diagnosis of what we would call a psychopath. Uh-huh. And they have shown now that in when it's identified in young people under the age of 21, that um, there is actually different brain development than a normal child probably because of trauma or abuse, but might some people are literally born with it. And I just do not have the ability to have empathy. Anyway, so what this study showed is they ended up doing this kind of program, almost like a juvenile, it was called like a juvenile center. And um, they took all the kids in or half the kids into this one specific program and half into a normal juvenile um, center that had all either committed rape, murder, like really severe crimes that would, as an adult, get you in there for life. And the juvenile program center focused on what I was trained to do, which is the same thing, disregard everything, but reward and like thank you. And that's really good, like strength-based kind of like building up their confidence and exaggerating everything. Like, wow, your hair looks great today. Like all this kind of like shit that would make us cringe without this kind of anyway. And anyway, at the end, they found between the two groups, the one that had gone through um, the program were 35% less likely to commit a second crime. However, they were 100%, not a single one of them ever committed another murder. Whereas the other group, no one really reduced their rate of crime even after a whole year or two years that they were there and committed more murders and things ongoing. So it was super interesting to show kind of just how that you can almost, I think, forgive and and not judge. Well, you can judge. You can judge anyone and be like, that's crazy. Why do you murder your dog? Oh my gosh. But you can still have empathy for that person and and show genuine care for them and, and faith that they can kind of come around and, and change that because some of these kids left like absolutely heartbroken at what they'd done because they just didn't have, they were so high alert and so hypervigilant and so traumatized that they can't, they didn't even have the space to reflect all the emotional intelligence enough to be aware of what they'd even done. That's really interesting. Mm. And the first thing I'd say from that is just the concept of punishment would only really be effective, I can imagine, if the person being punished actually agrees with the values that mm. they're being punished for for not living up to. Yeah. So if you don't agree that murder is wrong and then you're mm-hmm. being punished for it, well, then there's no, the punishment is not going to be effective because yep. you need to feel some form of guilt and shame mm-hmm. in order for you to not 
uh, enact, act out the way you did previously. My concern with that story you were telling me is I immediately think about victims. Mm. Yeah. There was a story a couple of years ago about I think it was a 10-year-old or something who I can't remember if they murdered someone but they severely assaulted someone Mm. and there was a controversy about whether they should be put in jail, whether they should be punished or whether they should be rehabilitated because Mm. when you're 10, how in control of your actions are you? It's very circumstantial. I immediately just thought, what if I had a 10-year-old child and another 10-year-old killed my child and then I found out the person who murdered my my son or daughter is going to this place where every positive action is going to be reinforced and they're mm. not going to be punished if they knock things over. Yeah, you'll get three going skittles to jail. for saying I think, thanks. Yeah. Well, I, I, justice wasn't mm. served then. Mm. So that's the, that's the only concern I would have with a system like that mm. because I suppose in that system we're putting um, – we're we're putting rehabilitation above justice almost, mm. and I wonder if that could cause a lot of resentment for uh, friends and family and victims, victims yeah. from these perpetrators. So, but I also do understand that if it is a if it is a child, how much you know how much m- malfeasance can you really attribute to that person? Yeah, because they how in control of their actions are exactly, they? Exactly. So, yeah. It is a really tough one um, because I would really want some sort of justice if I if yeah. I was ever in a situation where, well, even if it was to me, if a twelve year old came and stabbed me or something, mm-hmm. well, I'd still want. Mm. I guess I'd have to wonder: would that punishment be effective? And do you have to just accept that? Yeah, life isn't perfect. And if you and make them do the three hundred fifty hours of community service, which they're going to be rolling their eyes at the whole time, kind of, they're not going to learn a lesson from doing that. But that's why I think, though, when you think of punishment, you you say like you screwed up, you're in juvie, and yet you got to pick up rubbish on the side of the road. When you put yourself in the mindset of a teenager or a child, you're just going to be like, "Fuck these people are so shit." Of course. But what if? you were that teenager and someone sat with you and was like, hey, man, like what you did was like, I want to talk about the impact of your consequences on this family. Like you have taken someone's child for them, like helping that person actually understand how serious and deep that their decisions were and then letting them kind of learn from that, grow from that, so that they can be reintroduced to society one day because there's no point in just cooping up every single person that fucks up in jail. I don't know. It's so – it is hard. I mean, it depends It depends on the age because when anything I hear of, like if anyone under the age of 21 does something crazy, I automatically think, what has this child or person gone through? It must have been fucked up. <laughs> Well, I think anyone who does anything crazy, what have they yeah. gone through? Because yeah. those sorts of things don't really happen in, in a void. There's always some sort of reason. Unless you're a psychopath. Yeah, unless you are a psychopath, <laughs> which that's rare. Yeah. Um, oh, 1% to 2% of men, it's not that rare. Oh, oh that, sorry. I there you go. This. Yeah. I didn't know I was, that actually. 1% to 2%. Okay, yeah. Interesting. Um, this is, it's I, a scale, right? So that some yeah. people would exhibit. The highest degree of psychopathic yeah. traits, isn't someone yeah, just have exactly and percent along that? For women, it's it was spectrum zero point three to zero point seven percent. So interesting. Um, and okay. basically, what they found is, and I've, I've said this before, but any therapist will will say that it's compl- you cannot do any work or any rehabilitation or anything like that with someone that is a psychopath, um, sure, or has highly strong narcissistic traits. Um, and there's something called like the, the dark, the, the dark trio or something and, or triad. And it basically is like three personality disorders or conditions that mean that this person is, it's irreversible, their personality. And that's, um, psychop- uh, being a psychopath, being narcissistic and, um, Macha- Machiavellianism. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So that three combination, they're off, often like comorbid with one another. Hmm. Nothing can be done. But certain factors can cause those psychological conditions to arise. Yeah. Can't but- they? Because if I've heard stories of if, if, if a baby's crying 
Mm-hmm. It will grow up to six hours. And then if no one is there to nurse it, it will just something happen. Something, the, the neurochemistry of the baby changes yeah. and it says, well, I can't depend on human beings anymore. Yeah. And they lose the ability to have empathy. Well, what's interesting about this study is that they, the babies that get ignored do, in fact, stop crying. And so there, there was a study done that was they brought in mums and bubs of every different kind of like attachment style. So anxious attachment, securely attached and like um, avoidant attachment or, or kids that had had like disorganized attachments, which is basically that they've been left for six hours, parents maybe neglecting them or abusing them. Mm. And so with the securely attached, basically what they did is they would get baby um, and mum in a room playing together, interacting, and then mum would leave and someone else, like a stranger, would come in the room and they wanted to observe what would happen. And so for the secure baby, mum instantly puts the baby in the room. They're playing together, no worries. Um, mum, mum leaves. Baby starts crying for like two minutes. Someone walks in and she's just a girl like me and she's like, hey, you're okay, like cuddles and he's crying for a minute. Then he kind of regulates and he starts playing whatever, calms down. Mum comes back in the room, he runs and gives her a hug and they're happy and they keep playing. With the anxious attachment, mum walks in with Bub, he's sitting on her lap, like clinging to her, playing, and then mum leaves the room and it is like catastrophic meltdown, like screaming, their body just goes limp, they just cannot be calmed down. Stranger comes in, the stranger can't regulate the kid, like absolute meltdown. Then mum comes in and this kid like runs to her, grabbing her legs, like sobbing. Like you'd think that he, the most horrific thing has just happened to this kid and she can't calm him down for like 20, 30 minutes. And then with the anxious kid, uh, anxious attachment, sorry, kid, um, ambivalent attachment or um, disorganized or distant, mum comes in with bub. Um, this is the one that was most likely to have the parent that had been absent for six hours or abusive. The baby wasn't interested in playing with her. She was a bit awkward with it. She walks out the room. Baby doesn't do anything, doesn't even watch, doesn't look. Stranger comes in, baby doesn't acknowledge the stranger, doesn't look at the stranger. And then mum walks back in, baby doesn't move again. But what was interesting is that they found that when mum walked out of the room and walked back in, that baby's stress levels were equally as high as the anxious baby. So they are actually experiencing so much stress about being left alone or the stranger coming in, but they just cannot exhibit it in any way because they learned that that does not serve them any like function. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Super so interesting. The, the, the stopping the crying is not actually in an internal stoppage of yeah. the anxiety and yeah. the stress. It's yeah. actually just this action mm-hmm. no longer has a reward for yeah. me. It's almost like behaviorism yeah. there. The crying so, doesn't, doesn't work. i got to stop. It's actually a, when your baby is like always calling out mommy or daddy and they always want to like sit on you, not in the way that it's so distressed like the anxious child, but it's actually a good sign when your child relies on you and sometimes even when your child takes you for granted like we're talking five and under and they can be a bit like moody and like be like well cook me dinner mom I'm hungry it's actually a sign of a securely attached child because they know that they rely on that parent that parent's going to fulfill their needs even if they're demanding it or whatever like food their basic needs I mean like food shelter or whatever um and then with these other babies they just have no I guess, purpose in interacting with, they don't care when um, someone picks them up. And so sometimes we see, like, I know a a friend of a friend, distant person who had a baby and she would just walk up to me as soon as I walked in, handed me this like one and a half year old and then baby would go to another person. The fact that that baby was so like chill, people think, oh, that's so good. Like your baby doesn't care. Your baby never cries. Like you can pass your baby to anyone for cuddles. That's so good. That's actually a bad sign for attachment. And often we frown upon um, kids that like, you know, when you give the baby to someone and then they instantly turn around and cry for mom being like, oh, that's bad. That's the good thing. So it's kind of like we have this the wrong perspective on on it for babies. That's really interesting and I wonder about mm. the implications in their adult life and their ability yeah. to show emotion mm. because if you've been trained from a young age that 
showing of an emotion doesn't actually serve a purpose. You you may yeah. be inclined to just not do it. And when you don't have love demonstrated to you, you don't love does love is not a natural uh, like a natural development is a learned development. So if you don't have it shown to you, you often do not develop it. Um, even if it's like at least from a teacher or something, but it has to be mm. in those early years. So if you know, I'm not saying everyone that's had abusive parents is incapable of love. They might have had an uncle, like an auntie or an uncle or a, like a preschool teacher or someone that's showing and demonstrating love to them, but without any love or acknowledgement or those kind of like cues with eye contact with babies or like the baby voices we do without any of that, that child will say that will not learn to love. And then that part of their brain is developed and it can't really grow later on. There you go. Yeah. Everything okay. happens from birth. <laughs> well, that's why. Yeah. Cause I was coming back to uh, um, some of those dark triad psych- psychopathic yeah. traits. Hmm. Some people may be just born with or they maybe have a genetic proclivity to develop those traits, but yeah. it's also very environmental as yeah. to how those traits uh, develop. But that we were talking about before that, we were talking about, yes, the rehabilitation versus the punishment. Mm-hmm. And coming back to that specific example we were talking about, someone who might be quite young, 10 or 12, who's committed quite a heinous crime, I was just thinking if... If we can rehabilitate them to the extent where they then understand the values that society espouses mm. Mm. so they can be rehabilitated first, they can go through that process, then they understand why what they did was wrong and then justice can be served. So then yeah. they can be rehabilitated and then do the community service or even I then do that. whether it's jail time or whatever it may be. Yeah. Uh, that may be a better process then because mm. you're – socializing them to understand why society says yeah. you know, stabbing people is wrong because they may have so not understood that and they good, yeah. have that um why is this a thing social that's the best idea I've understanding ever heard. literally yeah then the friends of the victims or the victim itself uh, themselves can uh feel validated yeah in that they have achieved justice honestly because the person has been rehabilitated but then yeah. they also um Understand. Understand and, yeah. and are willing, hopefully yeah. are actually willing to yeah. uh, make up for what they've done. Yeah, that's so good. Because it's just like when you think of like, you know, private school boys that, uh, you know, it's been proven that they've sexually assaulted someone and then mum and dad pay a lot or something or the school assures the victim, oh, don't worry, he's going to do three counselling sessions to kind of overcome this and there's no consequence that's not going to really help anyone in any situation. Not saying that everyone should immediately go to jail or whatever, but having that like at least understand, like at least don't go directly to jail where you're not going to learn anything, but don't just have someone like me sit with you and be like, I know your life was really tough. I get that. And then go back. Like you've got to have the, the both, I guess. But in that order, I think is the sweet spot. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, take something like cancel culture where Mm. people aren't allowed space to make mistakes. Yeah. Um, Now, obviously, there's a huge spectrum of the actions people are being, quote-unquote, cancelled for or companies are being boycotted Mm. for or whatever you want to call it. There's no forgiveness there, though. It's, oh, no, we're just immediately going to punish this person. We're exiling them. Mm. Yeah. what was the word when people back in the day when you were in a tribe or a kingdom and you just got? I feel like it is exiled. It is exiled, but there was also another communicated. No, there was a. I think there was another word where banished. Yeah, I think it might be banished. Yeah, Yeah, you are banished. Yes. Uh, So if someone has made an inappropriate tweet or there's a verbal spray or uh, if we're talking about actions that aren't strictly criminal, you know they've uh, said things that now we as a society deem unacceptable the thing with that is though mm-hmm. people what people on twitter think is unacceptable is probably quite different to what people who are not on twitter think is unacceptable yes, and that then yeah. you get into another conversation about something like multiculturalism yeah. and um the the merits but also the disadvantages of something like that because if multiculturalism exists insofar as uh food is different and dancing and maybe there's a different religion mm. here and there well the religion is the is the key part there but 
things that aren't really related to morality and ethics, mm. I can see how that that's fine and that enriches a society. But the problem is if there are different cultures that actually have different ideas about morality, um, mm. that's where it becomes hard to live in a mm-hmm. community. But coming back to what I was saying, if, if people are uh, made to understand how they made a mistake forgiven for that mistake but then they themselves they take it upon themselves to atone for that mistake that seems to be the most ideal situation yeah so if somehow we can show people who have um misstepped yeah ethically why they've done that because in their mind in most people's minds they've they're always the hero of their story yeah Almost everyone thinks, well, yeah, I did lie that's in that situation, but it was because XXX. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did make that joke, but in my mind that was a harmless joke or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Uh, if someone can then help help the perpetrator understand why what they did was wrong. Yeah. And then if there is any internal trauma or psychological flaws that need to be fixed, those are then... It benefits the person and also society. Yes. Yeah. So then th- those are fixed, but the, mm-hmm. but then after that, they atone for that and the yeah. justice is served. Yeah. So the, the rehabilitation, maybe we need to rethink um, punishment and rehabilitation, but just in the order at which they occur because it's mm-hmm. often, all right, you do the time, then we will decide whether we forgive you. How about mm-hmm. it? How about we say we rehabilitate the person, we make our best efforts to rehabilitate someone and, and we try and help them understand why what they did is not conducive to a harmonious society then not only do we punish them, hopefully they voluntarily mm. try and atone for what they have done. Do you know what's really interesting is there's my favourite documentary is the Louis Thoreau one on pedophiles. And okay. they it's basically filmed in a centre for rehabilitating pedophiles. However, it's they've done it in reverse where all these pedophiles have gone to jail for however many years, and then instead of being released into the community, they're released into this rehabilitation center where some stay for six months until they're deemed appropriate. Others have been there for 12 years. Hmm. Um, And it's interesting that they do it the kind of other way around. But And it's really hard to tell how genuine people are when they say, like, I'm changed and I'm... That's the other thing. I've, like, I'm so remorseful. But when you look at them and the way they are you know, after four or five years in this rehabilitation centre, it is very hard not to believe them and trust that it it feels very genuine when they're like, I feel so sick with myself. And they're really honest. They're like, yeah, I'm still attracted to children. I wish I wasn't. I hate that about myself. I'm so ashamed of it. But I know now I will never, ever act on that again. I will never, like, succumb to that kind of um, those actions. Um, And others had physically castrated themselves which Uh is chopping your dick off and um another huge amount had opted in for chemical castration which is basically when you take so much medication that you cannot get aroused you cannot get stimulated you can't so you just don't nothing like the idea of touching a child doesn't spark anything for them they're just numb Uh but not just with children with everything in life yeah we also have to wonder about i I guess the the legal ramifications of changing the way we see something like crime and mm. and unethical actions because why well, not I remember doing a segment last year actually where I did this thing called Ask Neil I think it was on this YouTube channel actually and someone was saying how in the in Canada their Supreme Court has decided that there is no more um, mandatory minimum sentencing for certain crimes like murder. Right. If I remember yeah. this correctly, and I and I thought, well, something like murder, you got to at least have a minimum sentence, and then based on the circumstances, you decide how long that sentence actually is. But mm. I think I'm guessing I haven't read too deeply into this. The change of that law means that you can look more at the circumstances and yeah. at the person as a whole rather than just that individual act. Mm. But what are the legal ramifications of that? Because then it's almost like things might not even be a crime if yeah. if the circumstances are bad enough. Well, yeah, they can hit that person. Mm-hmm. But when you take into account their entire life path, mm-hmm. it, we we have to say it was uh, ethically excusable. You know, there's all yeah. there's all sorts of ways we can look at something like 
crime or unethical behavior and forgetting how subjective something like that is do you look at the effect do you look at the intent do you look at uh the person as a whole or do you look at the individual act and Mm. i tend to think that there has to be some sort of minimum sentence for each crime but Mm. then after that we can look at the circumstances and say well all right this person did um, assault someone and take their wallet, but their family was starving. So we can say instead of, you know, the minimum sentence is four years, we give them five. Whereas this other person here did the exact same crime, but it was out of enjoyment. They they thought it Mm. was a laugh. Let's give them 20 years. Um, But then it becomes this whole like, what biases do we have subconsciously that will dictate how many years we give to this person? Like, you know how we talked about ages ago that – thing on um one uh, that show on netflix it's called like 100 people or something and they had two groups where they showed a picture of someone and said this is the crime they've done um here's all the details how long do you think they should go in jail but in the two groups same like scenario one person was unattractive in group a and in group b the person that did the crime was attractive Person that did a crime that was attractive, one year, two year. Person that did the crime that was unattractive, 35 years, 50 years. Like it wasn't a couple of years difference. It was literally life compared to a couple. Okay. So that was, that's interesting. But then again, I do like that Canadian law because I think of what about people? Like I know someone who um, he was at his home with his girlfriend and someone broke in and was being like really violent, crazy. Like, I don't know if he was on drugs. He was just off the rails, like being super violent. And the guy who was with his girlfriend beat the shit out of him, being like, get the fuck out of the house. Like he was trying to steal stuff. And he beat him so bad that the guy's teeth ended up in his hands. And then um, he ended up being the one that was, I guess, the, the homeowner ended up being charged because he had done seven months of boxing and had done some like casual street like organized boxing thing like match I don't know so he was therefore considered to be a weapon so he got charged for really like punching someone's teeth out when that person had broke a stranger had broken into their home. Imagine if he'd murdered him, he probably would have gone to jail. God, our legal system is very imperfect. I don't know what the alternative is, but because then you take into account, well, if you get the best lawyer, you can get all sorts of years taken off your sentence. And It's crazy. I guess to to come back to what we originally um, started this podcast on, which was do we judge people at their their worst? It sounds like we both agree that there are so many other factors at play. Yeah. Um so we we should we should strive to understand the full picture as much as yeah. as much as reasonably possible. We can never know the full uh extent of the ups and downs of someone's life, but we can try and understand the circumstances as best we can and and refrain from immediate judgment especially in the age of social media or just even mass media. Mm. We don't know the full we never know the full story. Exactly. When it's something like a celebrity scandal as well. We mm. we just never know the full story. And it's it's Yeah. I think it's um I would be wary of rushing to judgment yeah. in situations like that. Exactly. I mean, now they're trying to cancel fucking Mark Wahlberg. Did you have you seen all that stuff? What for? About things that he said when he was seventeen and eighteen, because he because was he in he, gangs and he said yeah, racist. He bashed a Vietnamese guy. Yeah, or he said yeah. racist things. He bashed someone, and of course, that's like disgusting and terrible. But now he's like what fifty, um, mm. <laughs> and they're like, we need to cancel him now, <laughs> which is so weird i guess it's just moral puritanism really yeah i mean i do feel really bad for that i've heard that story and i don't know if he ever got charged for that right so i wonder if then we can put in practice what we were just talking about where Mm. i'm sure i i hope now he understands what he did was wrong with his millions yeah maybe he could give some of those to the victim's family or something like they could at least show remorse a degree of remorse um yeah. I just think there's always a there's always a you know, there's always a full story that we never hear. Exactly. And we should refrain from judging people, even in our personal lives. We yeah. don't know everything someone's been through and yeah. they may act uh in a way that you deem unethical yeah. towards you, but 
in their mind, they probably think it's justified. Mm. And just um, retaliating with uh, sort of ag- aggressive defensiveness, I can't imagine is very fruitful in helping them change their mind and mm. understand what the, why what they did may have been wrong. And you also have to understand, well, what if I have a flawed perception of what is right and wrong exactly what if i'm the one that 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 thinks that thinks everyone's doing bad things to me but actually i'm just living in a bit of a delusion it's like all the vegans um after that seaspiracy thing came out um documentary going wild about again about like fishing and i'm vegan so i support that but then like the inuit like native uh, a native uh, indigenous community hunt whales as yeah. part of their culture and then vegans are like, that's disgusting. Like, how dare you? And they're like, well, this is a cultural practice we've been doing for like hundreds and hundreds of years. It's We take one whale out a year, whatever. We're not mass fishing. It just comes into all this like who perceives what is right. At the end of the day, I think, you know, we can judge people because we have we judge everyone every time you interact with someone. We're judging them, whether it's positively or uh-huh. negatively. But we can't – I think that – we can't let someone's mistake, action, comment or whatever define them as a person. Yeah. Until it's repeated every single day and they have, you know, been multiple attempts and nothing Absolutely. can change. Yeah. Totally agree. And I think we, we are inclined to think that way because our brain wants to um, box people in and categorize people nice and, it feels nice good. and easy. Our brain will literally but look for ways to make us feel more superior. Exactly. Yeah. We have to try and actively fight against that. Yeah. So Humble. Yeah, humble be humble, yourself. don't judge. Sit down. All the things religion actually teaches, isn't it? Huh. Well, they also Let's teach a lot not, of other yeah. things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Um, neilkahaka.com slash podcast if you want to send us a question. Uh, make sure you follow and subscribe. Share the podcast if you enjoyed it. See you next time. See you next week.